You are listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Assembly, the Daily Missouri. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about the church, you can reach us at www.bethelassembly.info. We have been in a series for the last six weeks that we're simply calling baggage. We're talking about some of the junk that we, we tend to carry around in life, and I think we're all pretty open in admitting this, that there's stuff that's happening in our lives that for some reason or another, one reason or another, we allow it to just kind of hang out. Maybe that's financial issues. Maybe that's relational issues. Uh, Maybe you just kind of struggled in your life. And maybe one of those things that you're dealing with is religion. Did you realize that the religion can be baggage for some people? Uh, what's happening here today in their mind is, is religious baggage, and they struggle with that. I want to talk about that a little bit today, because many people think that the Christian life is making a list of things that they should do, or a list of things that they shouldn't do, and then forcing themselves to do what's right. I remember the first church that I became a, a member at many, many years ago, um, you know, you had to be like 18 to become a member. So that was like, what, two years ago or so I filled out that card. Um, maybe three years ago, but something like that. And I filled out that card and I began to look over that membership card. And there was a list of rules of, of things I, I could do and couldn't do. I couldn't go to the movies. I couldn't dance. Well, I shouldn't dance. You've never seen this white boy dance. It is not a pretty sight. But there were a list of things that I couldn't do, that, that, that I shouldn't do if I really wanted to be a, a Christian. And I began to process through that, and I thought, man, how, how much have we missed the mark? How much have we missed what it's really all about? You see, there are two ways to live this Christian life. The first way is this, under the law. I'm going to keep a list of rules. I'm going to, to do everything right. I'm never going to make a mistake. I'm going to make sure that every T is crossed, every I is dotted, that I don't carry this at the wrong time. I don't say this at the wrong time. I don't go to this place when I shouldn't be there. I'm this and this and this. We have all of these lists. We live under the law. Or the second way is this, to walk in God's grace and let him live through you. How often we've got stuck in this mentality of legalism that we miss the mark of the relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you this morning to to open up your hearts, to really listen to what God has for us today. What in your life needs to be adjusted? What in your life needs to be reprioritized? What is the weight or the baggage that you're carrying around that you really don't need to be under any longer? In fact, it was in the book of Romans chapter 7 verse 6 where it says this, now we can serve God not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the spirits. Uh, Let me read that again. Some of you need to let that sink in just a moment. Now, we can serve God. How many of you want to serve God? We can serve God not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law. Now, let me ask this. Is what we're talking about here is, is throwing out the rules, throwing out doctrine, throwing out all these things, and just living life however we want because we're under grace. That's not how it works either. You see, 
Jesus himself said the greatest command, the greatest command of them all, is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And what I've discovered in my relationship with God is this. The more that I love God, the more that I want to do what pleases Him. It's not that I have to do these things. It's not that I have to do what's right. It's not that I have to to follow after what the Word of God says. It's that I, I want to do those things. Why? Because of my relationship with Him. The closer I get to Him, the more that I realize that I want to get even closer to Him than I've ever been before. See, the more of Him that I begin to love, the more of Him that I realize there is to love. Jesus loves us so much that he willfully gave his life on the cross. And now he says the greatest commandment is loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And Paul says, now I can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letters of the law, but the new way of living by the spirits. See, it's so easy for us to come to a place in our Christian walk that we become more religious than we do Christian. I want you to let that sink in a little bit. We can come to the place in our walk with God that we become more religious, going through the routines, going through the rituals, stamping that little spiritual time card, checking off the agenda that we miss the mark of what it means to really be a Christian. We lose the heart of the relationship and we exchange it for the ritual or the baggage of religion. Ultimately, we become more like the Pharisee, religious, simply carrying around all the baggage. Let's talk about the Pharisee a little bit today. The Pharisee in Jesus' day, they had started out wanting to please God. They began the day in a day when Israel was deeply tainted by immorality and unrighteousness. And somebody needed to step in and, and save the day, right? Many of the Jews had abandoned the rules of the law. The Pharisees became like prophets to the people, pointing them back to the law of Moses and to the obedience of God's will. They were the religious leader of the day. They wanted to obey every one of God's command. And if God wasn't clear enough, if he really didn't point blank tell them exactly what to do in every situation, they would create their own laws and their own commands to make sure that they didn't miss anything at all. They called it the misfat. 613 rules, the mitzvot. They decided that they must follow these, be strict to follow in every one of these 613 laws. As I stated, the Pharisee were the religious people of the day. They, they looked religious. They took their religion very seriously. They were the equivalent of many in the church today. So why is that a bad thing? Why shouldn't we take religion seriously? Well, let me explain. First off, 
Please understand, there's a huge, huge difference between religion and a relationship with Jesus. I've made this statement before, but let me say it again. Religion hung around the cross that day. But Jesus hung on the cross. Religion condemned Jesus to death. But the relationship saves your soul and my soul. Religion is a a strict rule of things you've got to accomplish. But the relationship is a loving relationship that draws one another closer and closer together. Jesus desires a relationship with you. And he's not really impressed with your religion. Let me say that again. Jesus desires a relationship with you, and he's not impressed with your religion. He's not sitting in heaven right now and and looking over at God the Father and going, Wow, can you believe that Johnny's been at church three weeks in a row? I am so proud of him. Give him a sticker. Pharisees, they would step in and they would push their agenda, their rules, 613 of them. These laws that they must follow in order to be right with God. They were good at religion, but they had reduced this relationship with God down to a list of rules or, or baggage that they had to carry around. Maybe Maybe that's the environment that you grew up in. Maybe you've been so afraid. Every morning you're you're feeling so condemned and you're overrun with grief and, and sorrow. I just can't live my life right. I keep messing up. I keep making mistakes. Well, welcome to the crowd. For we all sin. Every one of us falls short of God's glorious standard. Does that mean that we just give up, that we just throw in the towel, and we just say, you know what, it doesn't really matter, I'm a sinner anyway, I might as well live life up? No. God, I want to serve you. God, I know that you love me so much that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. I surrender my life to you. I I don't want to follow this old lifestyle anymore. We talked last week about that battle on the inside that's raging between what's right and what's wrong, the old sinful nature and the, the, the spirit man. The Bible says, man, if we follow after that old sinful nature, we follow after that lifestyle, we're, we're trapped, we're enslaved in sin. We follow after the things of God, that's a life of freedom, of hope, of a future. But some of us look at this and we think, well, in order to get here, that I've got to do so much There's so many things that I've got to obtain. There's so many rules that I've got to follow. I've got to make sure I checkmark this and dot that and cross this. I've got to do all of these things to get here. But guess what? It has nothing to do with you. You can't make God love you more. And you can't make God love you less. Simple as that. For God so loved you. That he sent Jesus to die. Has absolutely nothing to do with how good you are. How many times you volunteer. How many days in a row you have without sinning. Some of you treat your relationship with with God kind of like you do Snapchat. 
I've got to have a streak with God. I've got to go so many days, and every day that I, I don't sin, that's another day. And Man, I'm 45 days with a streak with God. It is awesome, Snapchat, Snapchat Jesus. Some of you are lost right now. You have no clue what I'm talking about. Well, if you were just like a hip dad like I am, you would know these things. <sighs> I'm just saying. By the way, that's about all I know about Snapchat. I got nothing. They reduce the relationship with God to this list of rules, this baggage. Not much more than that. But here's what I've discovered. Religion starts on the outside and tries to work its way in. But Christianity starts within and works its way out. See, it's not about, can I look the parts? I mean, I could dress up today and I could put all sorts of garb on the outside, but that's not going to change who I am on the inside. The Bible says what is on the inside eventually comes out. What's in the heart, the mouth speaks. My question for you today is, what's going on on the inside? I don't care what you look like on the outside. I don't care how you gussy up on the outside. I don't care how good you look on the outside. I'm concerned about what's happening on the inside. Have you allowed God to come into your heart and into your life? Have you allowed Jesus to come in and transform you and renew you? Have you allowed him to take that old, stony, stubborn, non-responsive heart and replace it with a heart that is pleasing to him? Or are you just going through the motions and carrying around the baggage? Oh, but pastor, it's the religious baggage. It's my my leather-bound Bible. I, I carry it all. Some of you are treating your Bible like baggage. You're just holding on to it. It really hasn't changed you. You haven't allowed it to penetrate who you are. You haven't allowed it to sink on the inside. You've just used it as a decoration, as an accent to your attire, but it matches my shoe. The Bible was never meant to be an accessory. The Bible was meant to change and transform who you are. From the inside out. What's the Bible say? Hide God's word in your heart. It doesn't say carry God's word around. Now that doesn't mean we shouldn't carry God's word around. Most of you carried around on your cell phone or on your device. Some of you actually carry your Bible itself. But the Bible says, hide God's word in your hearts. In other words, let it penetrate on the inside so that what's happening on the inside then transfers to the outside. The Bible says they will know you are Christians by your love. Some of us take that the whole wrong way. They will know that I'm a Christian because I can dress this way. They will know I'm a Christian because I, I, I put this on. Or they know that I'm a Christian because I have a Jesus sticker on the back of my car. Some of you need to remove that Jesus sticker because you're giving the rest of us a bad name. Oh, did I say that out loud? Inside voice. 
They will know that I'm a Christian because I've got this or because I do that. No, 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 no. They will know you're a Christian because of your love because what's on the inside transfers to the outside. Religion starts outside and works its way in, but Christianity starts on the inside and works its way out. And I ask you today, what's happening on the inside of your life? I want to read to you a section of Scripture found in Luke chapter 18. Jesus and the disciples had just gone to the temple. And they began to observe. They were people watching. Anybody ever people watch? I love to go to Walmart and people watch. There are some weird, weird people out there <laughs> that need Jesus, by the way. And, and they, were, they were people watching and something transpires. Look at this. Then Jesus told this story to someone who, uh, with great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, so the religious people. And the other was a despised tax collector. So, so in our minds, right off the bat, we're thinking one of them is a, a Pharisee. One's the religious leader. So, so this guy has got to be the right guy, right? He, he's the leader. He, he's a church folk. This is the right guy. And then the other guy is a despised tax collector. He was a cheat. He stole money from mama last week. So we don't want to do anything with the tax collector, right? Well, hold on. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank God, look at this, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat, I don't sin, and I don't commit adultery, and I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful on me, a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. As we look at this text this morning, there's a few questions that we need to ask ourselves. A few questions that we need to consider. Have we become a Pharisee in our walk with Christ? I can hear some of you right, oh, not me, Pastor. Mm, now maybe him, but not me. Because, because I lift my hands in worship, so it's not me, Pastor. I give a tenth, in fact, I give a twelfth <laughs> of all that I make in the offering. I up the ante with God. I even say amen when the preacher's preaching. So I, I, I want you to consider today, I want you to really listen to these questions and I want you to allow them to penetrate who you are. Because I believe that God wants to, to set some of us free from this baggage, this, this weight of the law. Number one, 
Do I promote self over others? Now again, don't shut me down yet. I want want you to allow me to process through each one of these questions and then apply it to your life whether it fits or not. Do I promote self over others? What did the Pharisees say? He stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank God that I am not a sinner like everyone else. Have you ever had that moment? You begin to look around and, and suddenly you're justifying your behavior. You're justifying your actions. You compare yourself on your spiritual religious stance with those around you. Where do you fit in on this scale of religion? Are you over here where you're the super spiritual, super religious, or are you over here, you're the despised tax collector? Where do you fall on this? And suddenly we begin to compare ourselves to those around us or even those in this room and think, well, I've got to be here because I'm not like they are because I dress a little nicer than they did today or I carried a little newer Bible. Their Bible has duct tape on it. So I must be a little bit more spiritual. Could it be that their Bible has duct tape because it's falling apart from them reading it? I'm just saying. You begin to look around, you compare yourself, looking to where you fit on this scale. But the problem is this leads to an area of self-righteousness. Well, the Bible says that our righteousness, our self-righteousness as it stands is like that of filthy rags. I don't have the time today to really dive into what filthy rags are, but let me just tell you, gross. Google it. It's not a pretty sight. Baggage and baggage and baggage. Self-righteous people are seldom content merely to reflect on their own goodness. They need to better themselves from somebody else. Their happiness isn't complete unless they can look down upon somebody else. Comparing their exemplary righteousness to the inferior attempts of those below them. I thank God that I'm not a sinner like all of you. (laughs) Wow. It's not enough just to admire themselves. It's as if they're looking in the mirror and they see mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the most godly of them all? And then somehow they hear this false little voice and they think it's the Holy Spirit. And it says, you are. But, but here's what I've discovered. When you find a proud, self-righteous spirit, you will usually find a critical, judgmental spirit also. They will know You are Christians by your love. By the way, God is defined as love. Mm, Come on, this is good stuff. And you allow God and all that he is to take residence inside of you. You can't help but to exude love. The requirement for accepting God or um, for the requirement of acceptance by God, if that was perfect holiness, none of us would stand a chance. So what do we do? Well, oftentimes we go for the next best thing. We convince ourselves that we're better than that poor slob beside us. We may not be perfect, but at least we're better than they are. And in order to judge ourselves as more worthy, we have to judge others 
relatively unworthy. But the problem is, it doesn't work. It it never will work. You're still guilty, for we all sin. It doesn't put a disclaimer. But every one of us sins. Every one of us falls short. Here's what I've discovered. The person that jumps halfway across the Grand Canyon is still as dead as the person that jumps eight feet into the Grand Canyon. Just because they can jump halfway across, by the way, that's impossible, but if you could, you would still die. Just because you're a little better than the person on your right, look at your neighbor and say, no, don't say that. (laughs) Just because you're a little better than the person on your right doesn't mean that you're right with God. Our righteousness in what we can do by ourselves is like that of filthy rags. That's why we must depend upon Christ. We're saved by Christ and Christ alone. Not in something you can do by yourselves. You can't be saved by your own works. You can't gain God's favor by being better than somebody else. It's based upon a relationship with Jesus Christ. We were made right through righteousness. Therefore, everyone who is saved is saved on the same exact basis. Hmm. Oh, come on. Not because of your own merits. Not because of your own worth. But because of Christ. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to die on the cross so that all, everyone that believes in him would not perish, would not die, but have everlasting life. Our salvation is not based upon how many times I can check mark on that list of 613 or whatever your list may be. Our salvation is not based upon how much baggage we can carry or how good we look. But it's based on the price that Jesus paid on the cross of Calvary. based upon a relationship with him luke 18 14 we read it a moment ago for those who exalt themselves will be humbled but those who humble themselves will be exalted look at the second weight do i promote convictions over scripture do i promote convictions over scripture Honestly, my convictions may be a little different than your convictions. But ultimately, sin is sin. Does it line up with with God's word? And by the way, here's kind of how I look at things. If I have to ask, man, I wonder if that's okay to do. I probably shouldn't do it. My heart's desire is to do What honors and glorifies my God. Why? Because I want to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because he first loved me. Not because 
because I'm something special, but because he looked at me and said, you know what? Yeah, you're worth it. I want to love God with all that is in me. So looking at this, promoting conviction over Scripture or Scripture over what is it, what do we do? Do we just rid the church of doctrine? Do we just say anything goes? Do we just kind of run everything without standards? I believe there's got to be a balance in there as we're looking through all of this. Allow convictions alone to be paramount will result in a condemning spirit rather than a real spiritual growth. In fact, John three seventeen, which we don't read very often, says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to, say it with me, condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus didn't come to the world so that while he was on the cross, suddenly he would remove one of the nails from one of his hands and he would begin to point and go, yeah, you really messed up today. And yeah, you messed up. You shouldn't have said that about me. And, and yeah, you've got some issues today. And, but how often do we do that? And aren't we supposed to be a representative of Christ? So therefore, shouldn't we do what he has demonstrated for us to do? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in the order the world might, through him might be saved. A condemning spirit will repeatedly bring up the past and the mistakes and your shortcomings. But relying upon scripture will point you back to Jesus each and every time. See, here's the deal. It's not how close can I get to the line It's how close can I get to God? Let that sink in today. Some of you need to write that down because you've been trying to say, how close can I get to this edge? How close can I walk on this edge before I fall off? How close, how far over can I get before I tumble to the other side? Can I I get just a little bit more? No, 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 that's not the question. The question is, how close can you get to the cross of Calvary? How close can your relationship get to the one that loves you so much that he willfully gave himself on the cross for you? How close can you get to the one who spoke life into you? How close can you get to the one who knows you by name even while you were in your mama's belly? He had a plan and a purpose for you. How close? God, I want to be close to you. Lord, I want to be what you'd have me to be see love alone says anything goes but what we're talking about is god i want to be what you'd have me to be a friend of mine once said this don't elevate something you believe to an equal place of scripture it must line up with scripture look at our third weight today do i elevate religion over relationship there's a difference huge difference between religion and a real relationship again the pharisees had religion but they were missing the key ingredient relationship matthew 23 jesus is speaking to some of the to some of the religious folk and he said this and by the way this is the message paraphrase i love how it read said you're hopeless You religious scholars and Pharisees, frauds. 
You're like manicured grave plots, grass clipped and the flowers bright, but six feet down, it's all rotting bones and worm-eaten flesh. People like you, people look at you and think you're saints, but beneath the skin, you're total frauds. Wow, pretty strong words. I've heard about churches, and by the way, it's not this is an amazing church. But I've heard about churches where people absolutely hate one another. They will sit on the opposite side of the room so they don't have to talk to the person that sits on their left. In fact, they don't even look that direction, but somehow they justify their actions because they say things like this, well, I took communion last Sunday morning. During worship this morning, I raised my right hand and almost got my left hand up. It was about right here. Gave in the offering. I said hi to everybody else except them. So is it okay to, to be filled with bitterness and hatred because you kept the rules? No. But they obeyed Jesus. They, they took communion. They, they raised their hand in worship. They even said amen earlier in the message before it got personal. Some of you will get that in a few moments. It's as if keeping the rules draws God's attention and obtains his blessing while their sinful behavior is done on some form, some side that he can't see. It's as if God is sitting in heaven going, man, I am so proud of them. They raised their hand in worship. I'm so proud of them. They brought their Bible. I'm so proud of them. They said, amen. Well, didn't you see them having hatred thoughts toward? No, I didn't see that at all. What's happening on the inside? Have we allowed our Christianity just to become baggage? And we've missed the mark of the heart chain and the life change. 1 Corinthians 13, known as a love chapter, reads like this. If I could speak all the languages of earth and angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans, and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I did not love others, I would be, say it with me, nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor, and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. So here's what I've discovered. If we speak in tongues, the tongue of angels, the tongue of man, but love's not in our heart, we've accomplished nothing. If I go to church every single Sunday, but I don't show love, I've accomplished nothing. If I give all sorts of money to the poor, if I give to every charitable organization, but I really don't love folks, Bible says I'm nothing. If I teach in kids' ministry, and if I even run the sound or run the camera, but I don't love, I'm nothing. What's Paul saying here? He's saying if I get everything else right, if I have all of my Christian ducks in a row, or I have all of my baggage organized, 
but I don't radiate love, then I've missed the mark. I've missed the calling. What the Pharisee obtains or gains by keeping the law is nothing. Jesus said deep down inside, it's a worm-infested death presence. You look good on the outside. You've got all the right baggage. It looks really nice. But there's no change. Look at our fourth weight today. Do I focus on legalism more than a heart change? The Pharisee had convinced themselves that if they could just look the part, if they could just look good, then that's all that really mattered. But Galatians chapter 2 says this, my old self has been crucified with Christ. Come on, did you catch that? He he doesn't say on the outside, I, I look the parts. On the outside, I wear the right thing. If I'm walking down the street, someone's going to recognize I'm a Christian because I have a Christian t-shirt on. It's supposed to say Coca-Cola, but it really says Jesus Christ. You've all seen that shirt. I had it as a kid. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me come on look at that folks that's the change we're talking about my old life is dead and gone this old lifestyle has been crucified on the cross now it's Jesus that reigns inside of me so I live in this earthly body by trusting in the son of God who loved me in case gave himself for me I don't treat the grace of God as meaningless For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Again, understand this. Salvation is by grace through faith, not by works. We must remember that it's Christ on the cross. It's the price that he paid for us that was a deal changer in our lives. Nothing that we do on our own. We're dependent upon God's grace. If we forget that, then over time we become much like the Pharisee. And the result is religious baggage. It was author Brennan Manning that once said this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. I ask you this question again. Have you allowed your Christianity Come baggage. It's really not changing who you are on the inside. 
Oh, you may be faithful to church. You may be here Sunday morning, Sunday night, and even Wednesday night. Come on, somebody. But for you, all it is is more obligation, more baggage, more checking off that list. See, I come on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night because I want to. Well, you kind of expect me to. But it's time to stop looking on the outside and begin to look at the heart. It, I know that's so counter-thinking. Our society right now is so much, what, is it, what do they look like? Do they look like this? Do they look like that? Do they fit this mold? Do they fit that mold? But that's the opposite of what Christ does. The Bible says in 1 Samuel, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. Judge people by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the hearts, the inside. Have you gotten stuck with the baggage of legalism? Have you become guilty of judging because of the exterior? Comparing yourself to those around you? placing yourself a little higher on the scale than somebody else. I've got a solution for you. Real simple. Move from Pharisee to follower. I know, it's simple. But it's just a mind shift. Move from Pharisee to follower. Galatians chapter 2 says this. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. It's allowing who Christ is to truly reign in your life so that you can be the representative that he's called you to be so that what's on the inside begins to transfer to the outside. By the way, what grows on an apple tree? Huh. Apples grow on an apple tree. Why? Because that's what's on the inside. That's the DNA. That's the nature of the apple tree. Yet for some reason we think, well, if I just change the outside, then suddenly I'm going to produce the right fruit. No, 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 no. You've got to change the DNA on the inside. I could paint my wife's car to look like a Mini Cooper, but her car's still going to be a Ford Edge, which is not nearly as cool as a Mini Cooper. <laughs> By the way, it doesn't matter what, how you gussy up on the outside. But Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I ask you this question. Are you ready to turn in your religious baggage for a true relationship with God? 
Now, for some of you, this is going to be tough because you've been pulling off the religious card for quite a while and you've got everybody fooled. But today, when I read the scripture, when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and he said, man, you're rotten on the inside. Something struck on the inside of you thought, man, that's me. I need to change. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?